A deadly flu virus is born in a bustling city of China. It is denied by the national authorities. While governments ignore it, the virus maliciously spreads to every country in the world. The populace at first do not understand the severity of the situation, and before long, the number of infected increase out of control. In an effort to contain the spread, governmental lockdowns are belatedly enacted. The military are called out in many countries. Panic ensues. Supermarkets and pharmacies are looted by hoarders. The deaths rise as hospitals are overburdened. The world plunges into an economic recession. No, I'm not describing the COVID-19 pandemic. It's the MEV1 disaster of the film Contagion. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mitchie from the podcast A Method to the Madness. And joining me today is Patrick Laverne. How are you going, Patrick? I'm well, Mitchie. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. What do you think of my intro to Contagion? Is it a good plot summary for you? It was. It was kind of ominous and sinister. Yeah. And so it's going uh, for. it was a joke. Yeah. As well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All that I like. Yeah. So today. Well done. I'm, Give yourself a pat on the Yeah. Back. Thanks, mate. Today, <laughs> today we'll be reviewing Steven Soderbergh's Contagion, a 2011 movie that takes us through a fictional flu pandemic on very scale, similar scales of today's COVID-19. And that's the reason why we picked this movie to review. Um, it's very relevant to current situations. So let's start off by uh, discussing what we think of the movie. Um, what did you think of it, Patrick, when you first watched it? Um, yeah, so my overall impression of the film was that I, I dig it. I, I've said this to you before, Mitchie, that I really like movies that handle bureaucracy really realistically. Uh, for example, Arrival handles the bureaucracy of alien contact really well. And uh, similarly, this movie handles the bureaucracy of a worldwide pandemic really realistically. And, you know, it's something we can say with credence because of, you know, this sort of contemporary issue that's going on right now. You may have heard of it, COVID-19. Anyway, yeah, I, as we will explore in this podcast, I like, I liked watching it now and just kind of comparing all the parallels to this modern crisis. And yeah, I, th I thought it was a very prescient film. Mm, okay, interesting. Um, yeah, it's certainly, it, it seems like a much better movie, I guess, in the current climate that we are in now, because it's so much mm. more relatable. I mean, I really enjoyed the movie, and like, I'd seen it years ago when it first came out, but I watched it again for the first time in like years, and it just seemed a lot more scary than when I watched it before. You kind of become a lot more aware of how coronavirus, or how COVID-19, sorry, actually gets transmitted, and and. In a sense, I think it's a good movie to watch now because it does make you more aware and make you more worried and, and therefore you're more likely to take the necessary social distancing measures or cleanliness procedures that you should do to minimise the spread of COVID-19. Mm. Interestingly, it's actually a lot of people are doing reviews, I guess, on this movie now because of COVID-19 and the rise in popularity of this movie is immense. It's actually overtaken the number of views of Parasite the Oscar-winning film on some platforms, which is pretty phenomenal when you think about it, because Contagion is 10 years old now almost, and it's not exactly like an Oscar-winning film. Apart from the prophecy-like quality that this film has, I really like just the general filmmaking in how it imbues this paranoia into you. We're kind of really self-aware about it now, because it's all the information you see everywhere is about safety measures and... This film does a really great job of illustrating visually 
you know, just how much we touch stuff mainly. <laughs> and mm. this this film really sort of commits really hardcore to that, making you a really self-conscious feeling. I was certainly trying not to touch my face after this. Yeah, I love it. It's so good, like focusing on when she swipes a card at the start and you're like, you know straight away what it's alluding to. What, what do you think of the lighting in it? The lighting? Yeah, yeah. Did you notice that, like, there was a heavy use of yellow and blue filters in different, like, yellow filters for any of the scenes that were shot with the CDC or WHO, you know, with mm. Lawrence Fishburne and stuff, and blue filters in Minneapolis where Matt Damon's family is? Um, now that you mention it, yeah, I didn't really notice it at the moment. It all looked just kind of drab to me, which I thought fit the aesthetic of the film. I, I, I guess... A yellow filter would make it look drab. Like, it's honestly so fucking yellow at some points. Like, mm. and then it's so blue at some points, my eyes fucking hurt. Like, <laughs> I, I I just found it really interesting. I guess, I don't know, yellow is a color of... It kind of feels like, like a color of a hazmat suit or something like that. Yeah. And, and it kind of feels like toxic almost. And you don't want to touch something that's yellow, really. Mm. At least, I don't anyway. Well, I've basically given a plot summary already. I mean, it's essentially just COVID-19, right? But in a movie. No, it's not really. But um, it's, it's um, I guess, the important part of what I should say in this is that it goes through different storylines. We've got the storyline from the perspective of a very high authority or authority figure in the CDC, which is the um, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, I think. I just fully said that off my head and I might be wrong. That sounds right. Yeah, it sounds about right. And WHO, which is the World Health Organization, um, both are heavily involved in the COVID-19 crisis now as they are in this movie. Um, so we get a very good bureaucratic, like Patrick said, idea of how these things are dealt with. But we also have a storyline of the ordinary layman, the ordinary citizen, which is played by Matt Damon. And um, Matt Damon actually loses his wife and stepson within basically 15 minutes of the movie starting, which is actually quite interesting. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Matt Damon's storyline, but it's still important to be able to show the perspective of what an ordinary person like us, I guess, have to deal with in such crises. Mm. As with any movie, you have to have an emotional center to carry you through. In this case, I think it's kind of split between Matt Damon and Lawrence Fishburne. Mm. But I think the more forefront thing about this film is, you know, the effect of a pandemic. And I really like how they explore all these very vastly different, I don't know, lifestyles and people with, you know, differing sort of, yeah, experiences. It, it just does a really great job of illustrating, like, the vastness of the pandemic, you know? Yeah, yeah, it really does. And on top of that, I should probably mention um, the story of uh, Jude Law's character. Um, what's his name? Cromweedy, right? He had a really weird name. Not a very likable character, <laughs> yeah, as indicated by the name Crumweedy. Um <laughs> He, he actually has a very interesting character role. It's kind of, he shows how people can exploit a pandemic to achieve their own means. He's essentially an anti-vaxxer, so he doesn't believe in vaccinations. And he promotes Forsythia as a miracle cure for MEV1, which is a virus in contagion, um, which is just a flower or some sort of plant-based thing. And he tells the world on his blog post that this is a kill to it all and reckons he's got it and a lot of people follow him and he makes a lot of money out of it he ends the movie being arrested for kind of promoting conspiracy theories and false propaganda and preventing people from actually getting the vaccine when it's created by the end of the movie that was a very interesting perspective that you wouldn't normally expect in such a film about pandemics yet it's highly important to kind of show 
these different things and I, I kind of really appreciated that storyline even though it wasn't well done at some points and also did you notice Jude Law's teeth <laughs> yes yeah I had a Google and like everyone's just commenting on it and like it's literally just deliberate makeup oh it's that's it's not his real teeth no 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 if you look at his teeth he's got beautiful teeth but he has oh. like crooked teeth in this it's and I think it's just to kind of showcase that he's a bit of a nut job, right? Like, it just it, it accentuates that kind of, like, caricature of, like, an anti-vaxxer even more with yeah. the name cr- Crumbweedy. Like, come on. Maybe like. he, maybe he's suspicious of the fluorine in the toothpaste or something, you know, <laughs> so he doesn't brush his teeth. But his teeth are wonky. Well, yeah, I don't know, man. Brushing your teeth is not going to help with wonkiness. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe he's just gotten, like, beaten up a lot because he's just such a fucking weird cunt. Nah, you know why? I, it's because he's the only English character in it. And English people <laughs> are always seen as having bad teeth. Is he English? Because he yeah, keeps yeah, saying crikey English. throughout the film. I thought it was just doing a really bad Aussie accent. Well, he's not American anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, he's definitely English. Okay. <laughs> I like how, fuck, you really committed to exploring Jude Law's teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I'm a bit of a, like, I notice people's teeth quite a lot. Yeah. Fuck, his teeth were like, yeah, real crooked. Because there was that side shot in his news interview with Lawrence Fishman's character. And um, it's like stuck out like, I don't know, a sore thumb. <laughs> For lack of a better metaphor, simile. In a lab coat. The government rushed the trials. The lawyers indemnified the drug companies. Maybe it causes autism or narcolepsy or cancer 10 years from now. Who knows? You... The, the swine flu vaccine killed people back in 1976. Nerve disease. So we're all guinea pigs starting from today. Just wait. They'll start listing side effects like the credits at the end of a movie. So I guess the kind of uh, this, this podcast will be a slightly different from our previous ones because it's not so philosophical. I mean, the movie itself doesn't have any real, real deep meaning in it. Though it has some interesting ideas and stuff that we will talk about. So I think this podcast is a little bit more kind of fun in a sense we're just going to be talking about ideas and and kind of throwing back and forth different things about the movie and comparing it to our current situation and the predicament predicament that the world is in now yeah i think the most interesting thing about this movie is definitely the parallels to now yeah yeah yeah. otherwise we wouldn't be doing it yeah nor would like it have so many views right now let's start off by comparing it to COVID 19 i mean you said pat that it kind of really felt made you feel i don't know kind of nervous i guess or or more wary of the fact that you could get COVID 19 right Mm. um uh, like what parts to you stood out the most that it's with particular regards to what's going on today so you know what's the i forget that actress's name but she talks about vomites oh kate winslet yeah yeah how can you forget her titanic titanic queen oh yes yeah. she isn't yeah okay yeah anyway <laughs> um yeah so she talks about fomites which are you know bacteria spread by touching surfaces or viruses right? yeah in this case well, yeah, yeah yeah and i don't know there's there's a lot of uh uncomfortable shots where it just kind of lingers on stuff that you otherwise wouldn't give a second thought to unless you know, you have this mindset, which we have now. Mm. So, for example, like, there's that scene where Matt Damon and his daughter or his son, I can't remember, go out of uh, this door and it just lingers on the door waiting for it to close. And then... Yeah, when he leaves school. Yeah, and, like, you don't realise until it fully closes that the centre of the frame is the door handle. And it's like, you know, it's that kind of typical shiny 
metal door handle where you could never tell if it's like dirty or not. Yeah. And you and you see like you know that's everywhere, kind of thing. And you know there's also that shot of the sick dude on the bus and he's like touching all the poles and the handles and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, (laughs) I know it it puts in perspective, right? Like and uh, like. Yeah, I, I really loved it. Like, it's such a simple way to direct. Like, you, mm. you just hold the camera on it a little bit longer, but it has such a powerful effect and really accentuates what the movie's about. Mm. Uh, another one is that, you know, it started in China. Yep. Which apparently you just informed me earlier that apparently a lot of these viruses and flus start in China. So it's not that novel, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it's not. But, like, it's just funny. It's always in China. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, They, they don't really... Ad- like address this more than once in the film, but Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne's character talks about social distancing. Yeah, which I didn't think was anything. I I, I didn't think that was a thing before this COVID nineteen. I I thought it was sort of made up for this pandemic, but apparently it was it had already existed. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, it makes sense, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, it does. To have distance as a way of preventing transmission of some sort of disease. Mm. Uh, and lastly, I obviously it wasn't to the scale as it was in the movie, but just chaos among citizens. Mm. Yes, you've seen this sort of played out uh, with the toilet paper uh, kerfuffle. <laughs> <laughs> there are videos of people online just like brawling at supermarkets for the last bag of toilet paper you know yes and it's like i don't know compared to what you see in the film it's it's super trivial and it makes you laugh but that is still a parallel which yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah i mean i guess um yeah you're right that is a massive massive just an extreme version of what's going on today right like really um what what i what i found quite interesting was um who's that fat guy that's with kate winslet's character well, sorry, I should... Kate Winslet's character is Dr. Aaron Mears, I think. You know, and she dies and he buries her and, and gives her flowers and shit on a corpse. He has those glasses. He looks like the guy that owns fucking Steam. Gabe Newell. <laughs> Gabe Newell. Uh, I, I don't remember which character this is. Oh. He was, like, supporting her the whole time. Yeah, I, I thought it was... I met her at the airport and, and he's like, oh, you're going to need something warmer than that. And, you know, you don't want to catch a cold. And then she gives him a funny look. Well, you're asking who was that character? Well, you know the character, right? Let's just... Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. He's just this fat, creepy guy in it. Yeah. Sorry, mate, if you're listening to this. <laughs> There's um, a lot of, like, but, random, um, innocuous characters like that. Well, anyway, um, I like the fact that at one point they're walking down the stairs into the big stadium, or maybe out of it, whatever, and um, he says to Kate Winslet, because Kate Winslet's, like, more professional, and he's just kind of helping her out, and she, he says to her, like, oh, my wife makes me, like, you know, she when I get home, she makes me strip down to my, naked, and she, like, boils all my clothes and, right. and lathers me yep. in hand sanitizer. She's overreacting, right, is exactly what he says. And I'm just like, and she's like, no, he's po- she's probably right. That's what you should do, and stop touching your face. And, like, it was just so relatable because, like, everyone before it became a big thing and we really started seeing the deaths go up. But, like, oh, it's not that bad, right? Like, I don't need to worry about it too much. Do I really need to go home and sanitize my hands and shit? And the reality mm. is, yes, you do. You know, like, it does help. Mm. And I thought that, to me, was particularly relatable to COVID-19 and today and all that. And the other thing, like you said, the outbreak was in China. But the other aspect of it was the fact that the Chinese government are denying it. It's just a massive oh, parallel. Really? Yeah, remember... um. Uh, Marion's 
character, the epidemiologist sent to China to investigate um, Ground Zero and who the patient zero was. And then the Chinese people are like speaking around her and they're, they're like saying like, oh, she's got no evidence. It doesn't mean that it came from here. Right. And it's just yeah, like, yeah. like so typical, like they just want to deny it and not accept it, which is kind of what happened with the initial um, outbreak of COVID-19, that it was not actually properly disseminated to the rest of the world, which sort of elongated the issue and made it worse. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I, I I guess we should talk about the differences as well. I guess mm. the main difference is how deadly the virus is. Mm. The death rate of MEV1 in this movie. MEV stands for meningoencephalitic virus, which I didn't know, but it's kind of it refers to the fact that the virus gives you meningitis, which is, you know, fucking deadly. That's a brain infection essentially your brain gets infection on the skin of it or whatever it just kills you yeah and and the death rate of this virus is at 20 to 30 percent depending on where you are in the world that compares quite differently to COVID-19 which has a death rate right now of an estimate between about one to two percent so a factor of 10 different even more so if we if for comparison if we had this virus in the world right now then our death rate would be like 10 times higher which would you know put it up to what like I don't know, half a million, one million or something. So, I mean, that's why I guess we have a lot more extreme cases in this movie. People are actually robbing stores and stuff like that. And there's actual panic. Well, um, the COVID-19 situation here is not so bad. Mm. So I guess another thing that, um, another interesting thing that stood out to me was the whole Arnold explanation. And this movie is actually quite well praised for its explanation of the Arnold because it's quite simply explained by um, Dr. Mears towards the start of the movie. Um, it's a simple concept and it's important to understand what the Arnold of a sickness or disease is to see the severity of it. And in the movie, it actually starts off with an Arnold equal to two, which means that it infects a person carrying it will infect two people. And it does mutate about halfway through the movie to increase to an Arnold of four. The interesting thing is with COVID-19, the Arnold value is actually higher than two. Still, the upper estimates of the Arnold value of COVID-19 are actually close to five and lower estimates are about 2.5. Um, it varies depending on how well social distancing works and all that kind of stuff. But I guess the point is, is that COVID-19 is actually pretty bad in terms of its infectious infection rate. Um, on top of that, and this is kind of my theory, the virus itself, COVID-19, actually can stay dormant in the body a lot longer. But this virus in contagion is so bad. It's so deadly. MEV1 is so deadly that it would just kill you dead within like a couple of days, right? And that means that it's less likely for it to sit around in the population because if you do get it, you're probably going to die anyway. So it's quickly kills you and then the virus dies in the body. So you can kind of easily contain a virus because you'll be able to tell who's got it because it's so deadly. With COVID-19, we've got an issue where we can't actually detect it very well because people don't realize they have it and then they walk around everywhere and they give it to people but they don't even know and in a sense that makes COVID-19 a much more deadly virus it just has a lower death rate mm. so it kind of baffles me really that the death rate in contagion got so high at like 26 million as a, a lower number because like you know if you acted on it properly and it's not too infectious like that then it it, it it seems like an astronomically high number and my guess is is that it's because the authorities in contagion actually don't do a very good job at responding to it initially which is what makes it so infectious and so rampant in society mm. compared to COVID-19 so I think we should be grateful for what our governments are doing today I think they're not doing a too terrible job unless you live in the US yeah, but yeah absolutely also it kind of makes sense that if that disease sorry what's it called in the film MEV1. 
MEV1. If MEV1 is so rapid, then, you know, all the hospitals and stuff would be overrun. And so, you know, you, you, pro- you would have a lot of people still infecting other people because they're not, you know, properly treated and stuff. Mm. Um, I don't know. I think, yeah, it, it kind of makes sense to me just this rapid proliferation of, you know, infected cases, you know, not being dealt with. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting concept. I wonder if we didn't have quarantine right now, if it would be more deadly than this MEV1. Well, the virus itself is not as deadly. Like, so COVID-19 is not as deadly as MEV1. That's like an indisputable biological fact. Mm. But what can increase the death rate of our current COVID-19 virus, sorry, COVID-19, is the hospitals being overrun and then you don't have the proper facilities to treat people with the flu, uh, with the virus. Um, but MEV1 in contagion, it's so rampant, it's so deadly that it, so what it does is it infects the, you know, it's like a normal flu at first, it infects the, you know, the lung, not the lungs, the throat and the nose and stuff like that, you know, like a normal flu or cold, but it spreads into the brain and the spinal cord, which is why it's called MEV, because it gives you meningitis or encephalitis, which is an infection of the spinal cord slash brain. Um, like that can happen in extreme cases with the normal flu, but this one's obviously so bad that it happens in most cases. And that's why the death rate's so high, because a lot of people end up with meningitis, which is basically like, you know, if you got meningitis, you might as well start writing your will because you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Damn. What's, yeah. That's depressing. Yeah, it is pretty bad. I mean, you don't definitely don't want meningitis. So make sure you have your meningitis shot if you haven't already. It is a thing free for people under 20 years old, I think, in Australia. Um, oh, look at you, fucking public service man. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, I think we have to believe this is respiratory. Maybe fomites too. What's that, fomites? Uh, it refers to transmission from surfaces. The average person touches their face two or 3,000 times a day. Two or 3,000 times a day? three to five times every waking minute. In between, we're touching doorknobs, water fountains, elevator buttons, and each other. Those things become fomites. Is this something we want to so use in the process? So, in the movie, they actually compare it to Spanish flu, because obviously COVID-19 didn't exist at the time of this movie's creation. I thought that was quite an interesting comparison, because a lot of people compare COVID-19 to Spanish flu. Spanish flu is actually a variant of swine flu, or it's similar to that. It's a H1N1 virus. Mm. And that, at one point, um, Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne's character does say um, the Spanish flu killed about 1% of the world's population. So as many as 70 million people could die if it's as bad as that. Yet only like 30 million people die in contagion. So it kind of shows that we've ad- advanced a lot since the Spanish flu, that we do have a lot more better antibiotics and, and facilities to deal with that kind of stuff. Wait, there was a scene in the film i must i might have misinterpreted this but they were in like some very highly quarantined like safe looking thing and there were all these giant containers which i assuming i'm assuming they keep like all sorts of deadly viruses and stuff in there mm, yeah 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 that was at the end right where she lifts it up and it's got h1n1 sars mm. and then um, yeah yeah mev1 yeah I, I love that scene i was fucking mad that's that's interesting like because i obviously have that in real life right yeah, I think it's important to have those viruses because, well, firstly, what if you get an outbreak of H1N1 again? H1N1 is swine flu. Then, you know, you want the virus there ready to go in a lab so you can grow it or whatever to make a vaccine. Yeah, it is absolutely necessary. But it also incites a lot of thought about, you know, that archetypal story of falling into the wrong hands kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did like those scenes. I think that's a lot of the praise of this movie is from the more bureaucratic side of it. And and the way I look at the movie is it, it's very much from the eyes of a, a virologist or, or an epidemiologist. You know, it, it was better as a movie from that bureaucratic, professional, scientific standpoint. Um, the music was mm. like, I quite like the score in this. It was very like forward moving like kept you going like and it was also very ominous and kind of it was almost relentless like the virus itself like um yeah it, it, and it was a unique score like no typical orchestra or anything like that it was very synth synthetic kind of electronic kind of stuff i just wish it was a, a bit more poignant maybe if they did that that's the thing right that's what i mean like the movie is very clinical mm. and cold almost isn't the, and and that's where the and that's the negative aspect of the movie in my opinion is whole, the whole of matt damon's storyline you know and his daughter and shit like didn't really do much for me to be honest like it was kind of cool seeing him getting looted and shit and like you know kind of freaky but like the story of a daughter and she has a sulk because she misses a high school prom like <laughs> like fuck off like there's people dying in the world it's got a 30 percent death rate at least you don't have mev1 and you're worrying about your fucking high school prom with your like boyfriend and shit like y you know it was kind of almost tacky in my opinion and it didn't really do a good job to kind of convey that kind of distraught emotion you could experience during a pandemic yeah for sure like surely it would have been more important to focus on the fact that Matt Damon lost his wife and stepson to the virus in a span of three days yet he barely grieves in the movie only right at the end when he's looking over the camera when he's like has a sulk about it but like at no other point in the movie does he really care he doesn't seem to care. Like, he's got no reaction to it whatsoever. Yeah. I don't know. It was really, really weird. If it was up to me, I would have cut out the all of Marion Cotillard's stuff. Really? Because if you think about it, it doesn't... Do you remember how it ends? I she... love the ending. Well, she, uh, she realizes that they were given a placebo and then she just fucks off. I mean, it's implied. Oh, right. Her, her, the end of her storyline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just like, there's nothing really that significant going on at, for her as a character like i feel like that it there is for matt damon and Lawrence fishburne but what about but she investigates the whole patient zero thing didn't do like how cool was the whole security camera footage where like it replayed like everything gwyneth paltrow went through her character and then yeah, it cut out that, into that the, was cool and I, yeah her character was kind of like a bit pointless but i thought the investigation itself was actually quite interesting Actually, yeah, yeah, you've convinced me. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Like, how cool was it? Like, you kind of find out what's going on in China, like, because they really do do this, and there's people doing mm. it now in China, trying to find out where COVID nineteen came from, and no one's really absolutely sure yet, because like they mm. say bats, but then there's another theory that it came from some, the pangolin, I think. The what? Sorry. Is that a poke? Wait, isn't that a Pokemon? No, it's not a Pokemon. Um, it's a fucking, it's like an ant eater looking thing with lots of like. You know, like, no one's sure if it actually came from bats or not. The The point is, it did come from some random animal in China. Yeah. That probably came from Wuhan. But, um, but like, and, and, and the two favorite, my two favorite scene, or well, my favorite scene of this movie is the very last scene. Yeah, that's a great where scene. Where it shows you how the, yeah, how good yeah. is it? Like, it's, like, silent, nothing going on, just the music playing. And then it shows you how the bat goes to the pig, and the pig goes to the chef, and the chef didn't wash his fucking hands and then starts this pandemic so maybe if he washed his hands you know what a dirty chef like you go out and greet someone you've just been touching a pig's mouth like fucking wash your hands mate like go and shake someone's hand with pig blood all over it yeah anyway irresponsible that was a fucking mad scene yeah it was pretty cool i do like another yeah another scene i really like is uh the, the scene where they kind of burying the bodies in like the middle of the city 
Mm. Yeah. And yeah. The trenches. Yeah. Kind of talk about how they're running out of like body bags and yeah. Yeah. It's freaky. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you think about it like that, like our, our society is not very well, um, well developed for death. Like mm. we're only used to like dying such easy ways, like old age or occasionally getting hit by a car that when we do have a mass death event like this, we'd have no idea what to do, you know, because we haven't had a massive war like this since 1945. Like, Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When did we run out of body bags? Two days ago. Trying to get more in from Canada, but they just want to wait and see. I do want to talk about how contagion is a very good, I'm going to use the word propaganda, although it's not really like a great word for it, but a good way of advertising how we should deal with COVID-19. I mean, we both talked about how this movie makes us feel, it's unnerving and makes you feel uneasy afterwards and you kind of like, I felt like I was, I, like, I really wanted to itch my eye at one point in the movie and I didn't because I didn't want to get COVID-19. Like, and um, you feel like you wash your hands a lot more afterwards and make more effort. And I think it's good that people are watching this movie because hopefully those people are practicing the measures that are required because a lot of people aren't. Like, it's a big problem we have and that's why it's spreading so much is because people just don't follow the rules, you know, and they do go out and do shit that they shouldn't do. And the fact that Contagion does this kind of, I guess it it points to the fact that movies can be used in a sense to really disseminate important ideas and stuff like that. Hmm. Yet they can still remain like a good watch and good fun as well, like good fun to watch. I guess I don't know if you can think of any other examples, but this is a big one that stands out for me now. From now on, I guess when it comes to movies that actually should be watched for the sake of helping something out. Yeah, I mean that the thing that comes to mind is just like science fiction in general. Mm. It's just like things that haven't happened yet, but, you know, just sort of we've already explored like the consequences and the philosophy behind like AI, for example. Yeah, true. You know, I feel like I feel like we're, we're actually pretty ready for to make that leap. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. like AI is a great example. There's plenty of movies yeah. out there and we're kind of worried about AI and I guess we'd know how to deal with it based on what movies have done. Hmm. Like, you know, you got to take movies with a grain of salt because it's always usually fiction, but they still present great ways and great ideas in which we could deal with something in the future. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, the the things that last are things that are, like, highly provocative. Mm. And, yeah, this is certainly, this film fits in that category. Yeah, can't think of any good AI films. I don't know, just like, uh, <laughs> I, I read through Android's Dream of Electric Sheep recently, so that's what's in my mind. Oh, okay. I haven't actually read that. Is that, I do like Philip K. Dick, but not that, I haven't read that book. Is it good? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, okay. I can think of a bad AI movie. What's that? Will Smith's I, I Robot. Robot or I Am... Uh, I what's Robot. it called? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Dude, that is fucking <laughs> atrocious, that movie. It's literal garbage, like 90% of the movies that are churned out by Will Smith. <laughs> yeah. I'm not the greatest fan Will of Will Smith him. is, like, consistently average. Average. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is fucking... But average. I love yeah. him for it. Um, Truly. Like, unironically. I, I, don't, I, do I don't like him. I don't like him. Um, one final thing, I guess, is that, yeah, watching this movie is good now because it's going to help us deal with COVID-19. But these measures that we do now, they should really be, I guess, sort of more culturally known because we don't really 
depending on which country you live in, but in Australia, we're not very like, we're not very conscious of viral transmission in public and, and coughing and stuff like that. You know, no one wears masks here. Um, whether masks are useful or not is a debated question though. And Really? Plenty of people in Brisbane wear masks. Are they Asian in complexion? Well, yes, a lot of them are, <laughs> but I, some, some whiteies wear them. I've seen them. <laughs> oh well, I don't, yeah. Well, here in Canberra, no one, no one wears masks, and um, and the only ones that I do are the usually the Asian people. Jeez, I feel like we're being racist by just identifying Asians. Yeah, should we? Should we like transparency? We're we're both Asians. Yeah, so it's okay. I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> no, don't put that in. What? It's like <laughs> what? Bit? Don't put, what? It's just such a fucking the that transparency with both Asians so it's okay to say that like, there's nothing wrong with identifying a race the Asian people are usually well Japanese at least because we know they're more hygienically anyway let's just cut all this out anyway what were we saying um <laughs> I guess so um in Australia we're not very culturally aware of being hygienic and and aware of viral transmission the transmission of flu and cold and anything really but if you go to other parts of the world such as japan for example they do wear a lot of masks and i know for a fact from friends and family there that they kind of you know think about when they get home they gargle salt salt water because they might get the cold or something for being out and that like like they just seem more culturally aware of that kind of stuff and so i guess what i'm trying to say is is that it's important to maintain the ideas that we have from COVID-19 because it's just going to be helpful in general right like no one really wants the flu or cold and if we like this then we're going to reduce the number of times we get the flu and cold every year like all of us individually it also has a bigger implication and it's the fact that flu pandemics like the one in contagion or COVID-19 are inevitable at this point in time there's not actually any way of designing or creating a vaccine that can in one stroke make you immune to all um, flu viruses because flu viruses come in so many different shapes and forms and they mutate constantly that you can only get a, a vaccine for one of them or two of them at once and then you're only safe from that but if another one rocks up along then you've got no immunity to it so these things are inevitable um, and as history has shown you know like look at the Spanish flu or Hong Kong flu or swine flu epidemic 10 years ago SARS these things are all flu viruses and we should be always ready for the fact that one day we're going to get a really bad one, worse than COVID-19, perhaps a high death rate and just as infectious. And yeah, I think this movie does a good job at kind of showing that. Vaccinate your kids, people. Yeah. Autism is better than death. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yes, vaccinations are very important. I, I, <laughs> I think the movie makes a point of that as well with um, Crumb Weedy's character. Oh, sorry, Jude Law's character, who is Crumb Weedy. I like his little suit that he has, that he wears. It makes him look real puffy. Little hat? Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, I think that wraps up most of the stuff I wanted. Well, we wanted to say about this movie. I was very excited to talk about all this stuff, and hopefully it has some sort of educational benefit as well. Did a good job, man. Did I? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Pat. It's the first compliment I've heard from you from starting this podcast. <laughs> wow. I don't know what you're talking L- about. Let that be on the record. Compliment you constantly. Uh, oh yeah actually this is the first podcast i started yeah that's true well mm. you hosted one before didn't you yeah but we, we we're post. not gonna publish that yeah yeah so yeah um one last thing before we finally finish up we've started the idea of giving a couple of recommendations of what you could watch if you don't want to watch contagion maybe there's something else that we can recommend you to watch um 
What have you been watching recently, Pat, aside from Contagion? Uh, I finished the HBO series Barry, starring Bill Hader. Barry, you finished another series. Didn't you finish Watchmen last week? Like, I haven't... I've been watching it for the last couple weeks. Right. Yeah, and I just finished it recently. Okay. Yeah, it's very good. I'm a huge fan of Atlanta, and this show gives off really similar Atlanta vibes. And it probably is because it's directed, or I don't know how much of it is, but some of it is directed by Hiro Murai, who also directs a bunch of Atlanta episodes. Okay. And yeah, give it a watch if you like Atlanta. Yep, yep. What have you been watching? Um... Well, if you if you'd enjoy Contagion, if you watch Contagion, you enjoyed it, um, which you probably should have, or it should have in- intrigued you at the very least. Um, there's a movie called Outbreak, 1995, with Dustin Hoffman. Oh yes, in I it. know of this. Yeah, and it's yeah. essentially the same thing as Contagion, just not as realistic, mainly because they make a vaccine in like one night, which is just not possible at all in any world. <laughs> but um, but it's it's and it's got pretty. Definitely not as good ratings as Contagion either, but it's still a pretty good movie, and I would recommend it if you want to delve deeper into the world of viruses and diseases and freak yourself out even more in this current climate. Nice. Cool. Well, I think that pretty much finishes everything. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I did enjoy this one particularly. Yeah, this was a good one. you did as well, Pat. I most certainly did. You are very informed. Yeah, I love this shit. Fucking nerd. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you want to listen to any more of our podcasts, we are available on amttm.com. Um, if you have any further questions or any queries, or if you want to tell me how many times I was wrong about all my information in this podcast, please mail us at mail at amttm.com. That is an email, by the way, not a physical mail address. And also we are available on what platforms, Pat? Cause I can't remember. Netflix. No, not Netflix. (laughs) No, definitely not Netflix. If you want to hear more of us, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, YouTube. I did I say I thought I said YouTube. I don't know. No, I don't think you did. I don't know. (laughs) Cool. The podcast will tell. Um. So yeah, uh, thank you for listening to our podcast. And um, what are we gonna review next time, Pat? We are reviewing the 2019 film about society, Joker. About society? Well, apparently. Oh. According to the internet. I thought it was just about the Joker. Yeah, you'd, you'd think so. And if you see the film, that is what you'd, you know, come to the conclusion of. And any sensible reading of the film, you probably would see that it is about the Joker more than anything. And just kind of uses the themes as a backdrop. But yeah, sure. It's about society. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can see that. Yeah. Anyway, for next time, for next time. Yeah, cool. Well, I'll see ya. See ya.